Hello listener, welcome to Switch. The ashes are over and you can come out from behind the sofa. In fact, grab your popcorn because it's time to settle down and watch the fallout. England's Tour de Farce finished with a Hobart horror show as Australia wrapped up a 4-0 scoreline and gave Joe Root one last metaphorical kick in the groin. Will Root stay on as captain? Would anyone else want to do the job? And where to begin with improving England's test fortunes? Those are just some of the questions that we'll be pondering after an Ashes tour that was about as successful as Novak Djokovic's recent trip to Australia and which dragged on for four times as long. I'm joined today once again by Andrew Miller and Andrew McGlashan, both of whom know an England shambles when they see one, although this tour looks like it might end up in a category of its own. Good to see you both. Um, Miller, you wrote a pretty damning report card on England yesterday and then already this morning that's been overtaken by fresh headlines. Absolutely amazing, isn't it? Although, I mean, just just wondering what on earth's going on here. I mean, uh, you know, England have made a story for themselves by Graham Thorpe, of all people, leaking a video <laughs> to the Sydney Morning Herald of all the publications of England, not actually up to any anything particularly untoward, with three Australians already also in the frame. So, you know, somehow it's all about England being being disgraceful after losing the Ashes, when actually all they were doing was having a drink with their teammate with their with their rivals. Um, at six o'clock in the morning, which sounds odd, but um, you know the dynamics of day-night tests are weird. Um, and frankly, you know, what, who needs the police to break up a few people sitting around a table drinking? I mean, it's it, it, for me, it, it reinforces my ever-pervading sense that Australia is just becoming a really weird police state in this in its in its in its, uh, in its old age. Um, I think it's a complete non-story. Uh, Cricket Australia haven't dignified it with a, with a response. Um, ECB obviously navel gazing already and scrounging around for for tidbits for their review have done so and uh in so so doing of course it escalates into into a uh, latest ruckus rumpus ferrari um i don't think it's anything of the sort frankly i think it's uh, it looked like a very good-natured way to finish a a series that was actually played in a very good-natured spirit uh in spite of the fact that you know england's manifestation of good nature was to give their wickets away nice and friendly as well um yeah of all the issues that are kicking around english cricket at the moment i think this is probably about the least important <laughs> the friendly ashes uh, it's backfired on england once again didn't jonathan agnew get sort of uh, arrested or, or ticked off a jaywalking or four years ago or something in australia i seem to remember everyone gets um... arrested in australia you, you know I, I, was, I was watching um i was watching the tourists the other night and one of the scenes of the tourists is is of is of the uh, the police cop driving through through the outback and then braking suddenly because she's braking her own speed limit of, of eighty kilometers eighty kilometers an hour in the middle of the outback. I mean, you know what what what, what is that country turning into? I don't know. <laughs> well, I may, may, may you know any any country that may give give Djokovic a, a sense of sense of persecution is uh, <laughs> is is doing something wrong there. I was going to say it's only a matter of time before someone called the police on England, but uh, mainly for crimes against test match batting. Um, Nasha, as an Englishman in Australia, I hope you've been behaving yourself. Perhaps you can tell us about the uh, declining standards or otherwise of uh, of policing uh, and um, civilian control. Well, I think I need to stand up for my adopted country, frankly, after that <laughs> tirade from Mr Miller. I find it a very pleasant place to live, you know, and I've, uh, yes, managed to steer clear of trouble. So, yes, I think trouble <laughs> finds you if you tend to go looking for it, mind. But, um, yes, the uh, the whole party on the rooftop bar at the Crown Plaza in Hobart is a bit of a non-event. Um, yeah, it is. They were, they were, they, they had a long night. They would, it was jovial. Um, and when they were asked to head off to bed, they headed off to bed. There was no sort of like, yeah. 
no standing around or anything. So yes, um, it's obviously it's appeared in a couple of papers down here, and then it's grown legs because the ECB's wise decision to put out a very long statement that said nothing about it, but just uh, feeds the fire. So yes, it, inevitably it's the losing side in these situations that. I guess almost feels they have to come up and say more. It's kind of like Australia were celebrating the Ashes. I mean, you have seen the, the footage going around on social media yesterday of the uh, the day out in Hobart they had um, yesterday when they came across the Barmy Army in the in one of the pubs in Hobart and um, ended up singing and, and dancing together for a few hours. So um, they've certainly been enjoying their Ashes success. But yes, I don't think there's going to be a massive investigation from Cricket Australia about 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 today's antics. Um, I think they're just pretty happy with um, four nil and um, yeah, one more wicket. And they'd have been able to use the hand with five fingers on it that they didn't use um, four years ago. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, Australia have just um, have just bossed this from start to finish. And there's obviously going to be a huge dissection of where it's gone one wrong for England. It's obviously already appearing in a number of the UK papers over the last 24 hours uh, with some extraordinary detail and things that did go wrong and you wonder how the heck that happened um and things like that but i don't think don't think any of us are surprised that england lost the ashes i don't think anyone thought even when i know we did talk at the beginning about the, the ben stokes factor and and all that narrowing the gap but i don't think truthfully anyone was surprised by the margin uh maybe surprised it wasn't five nil really it was it's kind of that that was the expectation but i think it's just the nature of some of the things that unfolded um the lack of fight particularly on that final day in hobart having given themselves a sniff i mean 60-odd for non-chasing 200, there was a genuine feeling that they could have got through that night session, I don't know, two or three down maybe, with 120 more needed. Um, then who knows what could have happened. But yeah, once that first one fell, the floodgates opened and Australia barged through um, with their mighty strong pace attack. I mean, they didn't need Nathan Lyon at all in that game, <laughs> which says something about A, how badly England batted, uh, and B, how well Australia's quicks um, and sort of the unexpected quicks really have gone in this series. It's obviously it was Scott Boland and Cameron Green, who really did the damage in the last two or three games. Um, Pat Cummins finished top wicket taker because he's Pat Cummins and just that was always going to happen in his first series as captain. But um, I think the standout feature of Australia was it was a triumph of their lesser lights this series. I think that bodes well for Australia going forward. We'll know more about them in six months' time after a couple of overseas tours. But England were rubbish. Australia were good. How good? We don't really know yet. <laughs> a good summary. Um, <laughs> we, we could probably leave it there. Uh, no, the, uh, the, the England the England car crash I think will um, attract onlookers for a while. Tasmanian revelry aside, it, it has been a bleak few weeks for England in Australia. Mike Afton called it the tour from hell. Uh, plenty have suggested that this is England's worst ashes down under in living memory, perhaps ever. Um, Miller Hobart was was cruel and unusual as England hopes were raised on more than one occasion. Australia were 12 for three on the first morning and then recovered to post 300. And as Nasha mentioned, when um, set 271 to win... uh, Unlikely, but you know the the theory was that Hobart would flatten out and and and, and might get better to bat on as the test went on. Sixty eight for none, tea approaching or dinner or whatever that interval was, um, and and then it unravelled rather spectacularly. It was it was just abject, wasn't it? I mean, you know, I I I I briefly allowed myself to think, you know what, there's there's a chance here for England, and the only reason I said that was that because the target was not ridiculous it was 270 is is stiff in a fourth innings but for an england team that is 
really majored on white ball cricket recently and run chases in white ball cricket in particular. There were enough players in that side that I thought, you know what? Given half a sniff of, of chasing down, uh, you know, really going for the shots and, you know, taking the chances, beating the field and getting boundaries and, you know, just putting the putting the pressure back on Australia, there's a chance here. Um, obviously, there wasn't. But, you know, briefly, <laughs> and briefly, you thought, you know what, the way that England have operated recently, and, and a lot of people were talking about this when Joss Butler was still on the side, that, you know, Butler's... Butler's real strength as a as a test cricketer comes when he has a focus. He knows what he's got to do. He's not completely spaced out by the by the endless possibilities of test cricket's limitless landscape, and suddenly you end end up with a with a zoned in target as he had against Pakistan in in that memorable run chase in twenty twenty. Um, I thought potentially England could do that, but obviously they didn't. They had their usual absolutely abject meltdown. I mean, Scott Boland every time he picks up the ball just just seems to freak them out with line and length. I mean, there's, there's, there's nothing, there's, you know, talk about unexpected paces. I mean, there's nothing unexpected about Scott Bowler's methods. It's just there every single ball. And England have, England have succumbed to him in, in a, in, in a manner that's, um, I can't think of a, can't think of a comparison really. I mean, you, you end up with, with, you know, someone like Pat Cummins, I think got 21 wickets in the series, didn't he? But, uh, he, he, he deserved 40 for the way he bowls. And in, in Trundle, Scott Boland, who, who just, Plops on a length and finds finds the edge of every ball. It's uh, the Australian Tim Bresnan, I think. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah. The, the one name that was doing the rounds down here was Stuart Clark a little bit, um, sort of that sort of similar ilk um, of sort of fast medium English style bowler that ended up running through us. What was England? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's a it's a fair comparison. Clark obviously was 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 a star in the two thousand six series as well. So I think he was England, he was Australia's leading wicket taker in that one, wasn't he? But um, you know, the, I suppose the key moment, you know, when 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 Ben Stokes and Joe Root are at the crease after the, the inevitable collapse, here's the moment that perhaps you know this is the last last men standing. But Stokes has just been an absolute cipher on this tour. I mean, I don't know why. England bothered to play him in this test with a side strain. Uh, you've got this test test tour of West Indies coming up in two months' time. Um, somehow they seem to just be be running on fumes where Stokes is concerned. Uh, he's, I think, that Simon Wild was comparing his performance to that of Ian Botham in 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 the nineteen eighty two three Ashes, which is a reasonable comparison actually. You know, coming off the back of that uh, heroic. A 1981 series and just not got the conditioning and and basically believing that he can just rock up and be Superman every time he takes the ball. Obviously, very different circumstances. Both of them, I think, was guilty of just um, not bothering to train at all, whereas Stokes just couldn't because he was injured. Um, but yeah, he he his his shot to get out was woeful, and then Root obviously gets a, gets a shooter, which can which just tends to happen in circumstances like that. I mean, you know, the way he just sort of grinned with hopeless weary world weary look on his face as he left the crease it was uh it was poignant in many ways i mean here, here's a guy of course who who didn't even make it to the final finishing line in in the fifth test last time around because he got heat stroke and and and, and various other gastroenteritis god knows what else and was fast asleep in the dressing room when england lost and this time you know he was, he was very much in the middle and very much in the middle of the collapse um but yeah i mean 10 for, 10 for 56 i mean it's it's one of the worst collapses, I think the fourth worst fourth innings collapse in English history. So, you know, to put that into context, it is up there with the 46 all out at, um, at Trinidad back in 1994, which is probably the single most traumatic memory of my upbringing as as, as a cricket watcher. But I, I bet you that this just does not traumatise people in the same way. I mean, this has been happening too many times to England in, in too, recent, too recent memory. I mean, uh, pop quiz, I mean... 
I defy anyone. I mean, you know, back in the day, you could have you could have reeled off the moments when England were bowled out for double figures. I defy anyone to be able to list off the top of their head every single time that has happened in the last since twenty sixteen. Let's go. Let's go. Let's let's be let's be reasonable. Go from there. <laughs> I bet they can't do it. I bet they will forget one one occasion. There'll be there'll be the seventy seven in Bridgetown or the fifty eight in Auckland or there'll be the, the even the sixty seven at Headingley, which you know the Headingley miracle only happened only had to be a miracle because England was so useless. Eighty five against innings. Ireland. <laughs> 85, exactly, that's the one I'd forgotten. And there's another one as well. I'm sure, oh, the Bangladesh, was that a bang, or that just 10 in a session? I can't remember. Anyway, it happens so often. That was 10 in a session, it's just I think. Losing that, that, its was, that was a worse, was that bang, uh, DACA a worse collapse, but only I, I, just? Uh, potentially. From sort of it was, that was definitely none. 10 in a session, which was, which was unique. This, this, yeah. and, this and Bridgetown were 9 in a session, which. Uh, which is only possible because Burns fell on the fell for the final ball of the previous session, so that almost counts. But anyway, the point is, <laughs> this happens so often, it's losing its impact. It's just, oh yeah, England are about for double figures again. Ho hum, add it to the list, chalk up, chalk up the, the worst disasters ever listicle and whack it out there. It's just, <laughs> just getting tiresome. And you know, as the review kicks in. I mean, we, you know, we talked about it a little bit last week about what what could possibly come out of it, and you've already got the self serving words of Ashley Charles saying, you know, you're no point in changing anything. You've already had Joe Root. I mean, God knows what is going through his mind that he says, I, I really, really want to stay on as captain. Why would you want to stay on as captain after that sort of a battering uh, beats me? Um, Chris Silverwood says he wants to stay on. I mean, he's a dead man walking, but I mean, something's got to change. You can't just wait for the ECB to to think very long and hard and very seriously about ripping up how they do things and, and resetting Red Bull cricket, as Tom Harrison was talking last week, and just allow this drift to go on. You can't expect the ECB to do anything in the next two months. Realistically, May, the start of the English season, is about the earliest you can expect them to get their act together and, and sit down and start to talk seriously about how to, how to resolve this. And so England are going to go to the Caribbean in the meantime. And if they don't find some way to just shake things up, they're going to go out there with exactly the same setup. Exactly the same expectations, exactly the same result. England have won once in the Caribbean since 1968. And that's an absolute, absolute disgrace, given the, given the resources that England have had in the last 20 years in particular, since central contracts came in and, you know, England actually became quite good. So even at their best, they have struggled to beat West Indies in West Indies. At their worst, I don't give them a prayer, frankly. I think West Indies will be hungrier. I think West Indies have, uh, have got good enough fast bowlers to rattle this this team and probably enough batsmen to to get enough runs on the board to put them under pressure again. It, 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 it's going to be drift unless England, someone, somewhere, grasps the nettle and demands some change. Well, yes, something must be done. I think everyone agrees on that. What must be done, uh, that's a bit trickier. Uh, before we get into some of the fallout and the yeah newspaper reports that are doing the rounds and so on, um, Nasha, England's top score, uh, top scorer in uh, Hobart was was thirty six. Uh, Wokes in the first innings, uh, Zach Crawley in the second innings. Um, Travis Head, meanwhile, uh, showed what could be done, perhaps with a, riding his luck a little bit. But um, he scored his second century of the series. That uh, tipped the the player of the series award his way, um, and kind of the test was defined, I suppose, by that. Um, first morning and afternoon when England had made a good start with the ball and then it all unravelled um, at the hands of, of Head, Marnus Labuschagne uh, uh, and then Cameron Green um, who, uh, as you mentioned, it was a series of the lesser lights for Australia and that uh, that session kind of encapsulated it. 
Yeah, I think if anyone had said at the beginning of the series that Travis Head would be the Compton Miller medalist at the end of it, um, not many people would have uh, believed that. He was the, um, as Alex wrote for us after the game, he was the last man picked um, in that Australian team before the Gabba test match. It was between him and Usman Kawaja um, in the end. Um, and in the end, those two scored four of the centuries made in the Ashes series, of course, Kawaja finishing as an opener um, in that final test. So yeah, the Travis Head story is a really good one for Australia selectors. It's a good one for Travis Head. Obviously, he's a very fine uh, batter, but a good one for George Bailey, who's had a very good series as the new or newish national uh, chairman of selectors down here. Um, and that, and the panel itself is, is quite new, so they can pat themselves on the back with quite a few of the decisions they made there. And as you say, that game turned when Head and, and Cameron Green got together on that first afternoon. And, and as as much as Head was the was the was the Hundred, so it took the headlines, um, and obviously his overall series performance was outstanding. Set the tone at the Gabba. It's Cameron Green that is really getting people excited on this part of the world, as you've probably no doubt noticed by the coverage and the comparisons and the chatter. Um, he is the sort of cricket Australia have wanted forever almost he is being talked about in the breath of some of the I mean there's not a huge long list of of, of all-rounders great all-rounders in the game that's why they are so sought after but um uh, kind of um Shane Watson obviously played played a very important role for Australia and he is one of the most misunderstood and maligned cricketers actually unfairly maligned cricketers in Australian history um one of those that you only know what you've got when it's gone type of thing and they've and the balance he gave that side um was priceless. I mean, Cameron Green potentially is just another level and more above what Shane Watson can deliver. So he saw that with the ball in the second innings, kind of that reminded me of a bit of an Andrew Flintoff-esque spell, that one he delivered in the in the second inning, sort of hitting that hard length, uh, sort of making something happen as the cliche goes, but just that, that round the wicket, hard length, 140Ks, he's as quick as Cameron Green, he's got more pace to come as well. So, he, and just his build, how he plays, the big front foot, it just reminds me a lot of, 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 of Freddie Flintoff. Um, there are greater comparisons being made of that. Jack Callis's name is being thrown around in some corners as well. So it'll be fascinating to see how his career develops over the next five years. I mean, quite the cricketer he'll be in, Two years when they come to England will be fascinating. The next Ashes down here could well be coming up to his prime. So he's a generational cricketer for Australia. He's someone that they can build their team around, their balance of the team. It's going to be a luxury for Pat Cummins as a bowling captain to have a fifth bowler um, like that. Uh, it's going to be very interesting, going back to what Miller touched on about the, the handling of Stokes as a bowler in this series. It's going to be very interesting during Pat Cummins' captaincy, particularly when it gets harder than it has done in this series, how he uses Cameron Green. He obviously has a history of back injuries. He's only back bowling really this year as he was at the beginning of his career. It's been two or three years of getting him back to that that full tilt. Um, is he used as one of three seamers on the subcontinent? Sometimes that makes it a very different role. All those things with Cameron Green as a come, but just people like after three tests in this series with the back, people going, well, what's all the hype with, with Cameron Green? And kind of like there's just speak to anyone in the know sort of in, in Australian cricket. Um, and I'm sure Alex won't mind us saying he knows Cameron Green very well. Um, has, has picked him up from training a few times and drove him back home as, as a kid in, in, in WA. Um, but, but kind of... Taught him everything he knows. Yeah, well, well, quite, <laughs> abs- absolutely. Who knows? It, 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 sliding doors moment, it could be um, Cameron Green, associate editor of Quick Info, and Alex Malcolm batting six for Australia. Just don't know how these <laughs> things work out in history, do you? But um, yeah, um, but just the, the upside and what he brings to Australia, there'll be ups and downs as there were with Flintoff, as there were with Stokes, as there were with Beefy um, and anyone else you care to mention. Um, but he just offers something that Australia 
have not had for a long time. They've obviously they balanced their side in different ways over the generations. They've obviously used Nathan Lyon almost as the way to balance their side for 10 years because he's both an attacking and defensive bowler. Before then, Shane Warne almost balanced their side because he was two bowlers in one. But now they're going down the genuine all-rounder route. It's going to be really interesting to see how they use Cameron Green going forward. So him, Travis Head um, were probably the two biggest pluses out of this series for Australia. Obviously, the depth of bowling is there as well. But in terms of going forward, the challenges they've got, I think Head and Green were were the two huge gains for Australia in this series. Yeah, I mean, um, Green, uh, Green is just on, on that, though, just just the, the extraordinary flip in expectations that, that Green's presence gives to Australia. I mean, you, you t- Nash had touched on it, the, the, that quest for an all-rounder. You know, all throughout the years in which Australia, broadly speaking, dominated England, the one area in which England have always just held a little bit of a little bit of a sort of nerna-na-na-na in Australia is the fact that England could produce an all-rounder and they couldn't, you know, from Botham through to Flintoff <laughs> and then to Stokes. Those three guys have, have been absolutely outstanding, ashes-winning performers uh, in, in, in a way that, um, you know, Stokes, Stokes and perhaps didn't play a massive part in 2015, but, you know, he was, he was there and a balance of it. But, you know, you think of the guys who, I mean, obviously Shane Watson is the, the key one, but Andrew Simons was, 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 a, was an all-rounder for a bit. Even Cameron White was talked up as, as, a, as a guy who could balance his side. I mean, they, they really have been... Scraping well, so around, was Stephen sports. Smith for a little while. <laughs> exactly, but, you know, debuting at eight and all that. What but, happened to him? Yeah, exactly. It's it's a it's a different dynamic. If Australia come over here in twenty twenty three with Cameron White as part of a five man attack with him batting at Cameron six. Green even Cameron Green even yeah exactly yeah, Cameron Green Cameron White, White would, there'd be a, that'd be something wouldn't it not such but a you know place, just imagine that imagine that dynamic on English in English conditions in twenty twenty three. I mean, it, it's probably the the one one aspect. And obviously, the, the, again, one of the few things England can cling to is the fact they haven't lost the Ashes at home since 2001. But if if Cameron Green develops in the way that he ought to from this start, um, I don't see England being ready to um, win back the Ashes in, in two years' time, put it that way. And the question is, it has, has Ben Stokes passed his peak now? With everything he's gone through, and that isn't necessarily a criticism of Ben Stokes, he's put his body on the line more times than anybody else probably for England of this generation and did it again on this tour. But um, can he rise? I mean, he'll be a good player for another three, four years maybe, but can he can he rise to that top level again? And it might be that we get Stokes versus Green at their best in two years' time, but it, it'd be interesting to see whether Stokes can lift himself back to that 2019 level um, because you just wonder whether, yeah, his life's changed, his things have changed for him and obviously things have changed for English cricket test match wise as well in in that time and whether in what might be a failing side for a few more years yet whether Stokes has it in him to to rise above the mediocrity he might be the captain of course um we 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 talk about sort of English cricket being obsessed with the ashes and obviously this podcast will now turn into a preview of the 2023 series um (laughs) Cameron Green didn't have a test wicket before um before uh, the Gabba test did he so uh it tells you how quickly things can change um the uh, uh, I mean England. Uh, the the report card is a is a bit of a mess. Uh, let's um, put it that way. Um, Miller Markwood was sort of the one player, pretty much the one player. I guess maybe Stuart Broad. Um, although we've always known what he can do, but Wood in, enhance his reputation with um, a career best uh, six of thirty seven in the second innings at Hobart, and 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 really did. Um, 
tries absolute nuts off uh, throughout. Uh, play, managed to play four tests as well, which I, I'm not sure many would have predicted beforehand. But um, I mean, yeah, clearly the, the batting is where the post-mortems are, are, are going to focus. Uh, this was the first time England hadn't passed 300 in an Ashes series since 19. 19- 58-59, it was the lowest overall batting average um, in an Ashes since 1890. Um, I mean, 19.8 runs per wicket. Um, and, and I mean, already, as we've discussed, there are uh, the, the kind of insider accounts are beginning to, to emerge. Um, talk of a, a play, an unnamed player refusing to take a skinfold test on the grounds that England were fat-shaming him. Uh, Ollie Pope apparently wanted to fly Vikram Solanke out at his own expense to, to help with his uh, form with the bat. Um, another player finding out they were dropped uh, from the media when, when uh, Silverwood sat down to sort of tell them they already knew. Uh, this this apparently disastrous um, oversight uh, um of not selecting Bearstow or Crawley for the Lions test, uh, sorry for the for the Lions game when Australia a were were picking Kawaja and and Nessa and so on. Uh, I mean, there's a lot to get through uh, <laughs> with all this stuff, uh, and usually, I mean, you know, 2013, 14, say when it all unravelled and and the Andy Flower regime came to an end, the the, the focus was on too much, you know, the intensity in the dressing room, too much pressure on the players and all that. But does it seem like this time around that this hasn't been enough sort of um, stick to go alongside the carrot, albeit that England having to deal with sort of COVID and and, and regulations on that front uh, and the endless kind of touring bubbles uh, of of the last year or so. Yeah, I mean it, it. It's it's difficult, isn't it? It is the it is the the one big fat asterisk on the top of this this tour is COVID and the the strictures the players have had to go through. This is the first time that a that a, a five test series has been completed under COVID conditions. Um, bear in mind, Australia, uh, the India bailed out of theirs after four tests last year. So you know the the lengths to which they've gone are over and over and above in so many senses and you know Marnus Labashane was one of the guys who you know you know seemed like a very heartfelt thank you for coming to uh, uh to England after the after the 4-0 because you know it'd been 11 months since Australia had played a test anywhere in the world let alone at home and so I think there were there was genuine gratitude that England put themselves through the ringer to get out there but yeah you're right the 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 lack of the lack of rigor that's gone on within that bubble um, is something that will will come out come out in in the review and 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 probably not even in the review in the papers more likely because the review is probably going to be a, a, a Sue Gray esque whitewash. Um, but the you mentioned was it, twenty was the twenty thirty was the what was the Ashes a work event? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't. Well, it wasn't. Party, was it? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, you mentioned twenty thirteen fourteen there in passing. Now, I, I, I as you know, I, I'm fond of my miserabilia, and I do like to do like to rank England's disasters. And I'm in fact in the process. Never of Never have you just got that. so many legs out of one piece, Miller. You, you rehashed <laughs> this piece, I think, three times during this series. Yeah, well, no, it's, it's what it's what the fans want. You know? But anyway, my my official verdict, my official verdict is that this comes in at number two on England's worst Ashes tours of all time. I would say on a on a scale of five on a scale of one to five in terms of shambles, it's probably a six. Um I'd say a five just just for just to keep the scale level because you know so much has gone wrong on so many levels. But in terms of shock, I, I, I defy you to 
be as shocked by England's 4-0 here as anyone was by the 5-0 in 2013-14. Bear in mind, England came into that series with what they thought was a all-time great England team that was probably going to win four Ashes in a row, uh, had swiped the floor with Australia, although, you know, closer forensic analysis suggests that 3-0 in home conditions a few months earlier wasn't quite as comprehensive as it seemed. But the manner in which that team wrecked the careers of Matt Pryor, of Graham Swan, of Kevin Peterson, um, even even Alistair Cook wasn't the same again, um, Jonathan Trott. I mean, that team was absolutely pulled from pillar to post and they had a team, they had a proper test match team that was there to be ripped apart. So I don't think this is as dramatic a catastrophe as in 2013-14, but on the grander scheme of what it means to test cricket, the the sheer and miserable, abject non-competitiveness of this series is over and above the most the most concerning aspect of this. I wrote about this after after the Melbourne Test. That you know, the, I worry for Test cricket if if the Ashes is such a hollowed out husk that there's just no point in pretending that England can be competitive, and they're not going to be competitive in four years' time on this evidence. I mean, how do you expect Ollie Pope and Co to to get the the opportunities required to become the players they need to be to beat the likes of Cameron Green and and you know other guys who are going to be entering their own pop. I mean, you know, it's possible that the big the big two in particular, Warner and Smith, will be gone. But most of those fast bowlers will be will be young enough to to have have a last crack. Um, I think it's it's inconceivable that England are going to win in four years' time from this position. And so the inquest is going to have to be long, and hard and you know realistic as well uh, it's not going to be a quick fix for England they have they have left test cricket to drift for far too long um, it did lead to the glories of 2019 um, but you know I would argue that there was probably some merit in trying to maintain the the white ball preeminence that Owen Morgan's men had created and you know really create something special uh, you know, because England England don't win many trophies, so to try and compete on two fronts and and win that World T Twenty was a was a worthwhile effort. But given how how nondescript the World T Twenty ended ended up being, I think it's it's a time to apply a very dramatic handbrake to the white ball sort of runawayness of the uh, of this. I mean, it does seem as though you know, with word that Stokes and Root in particular are pulling out of the IPL auction and and you know a sense of doubling down on Test cricket, it does feel as though the 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 key pegs will be in the in in the key places for for the foreseeable, but it's it's a it it's it's such a low base to build back from, and um I mean we haven't even discussed the captaincy we've we've touched it in passing, uh but something needs to be done about the the drift at the at the helm of this side let alone the players within it because you know Root has done absolutely everything he can to lead from the front, but you only have to look at the stats throughout twenty twenty one. To know that if one guy's scoring one thousand seven hundred eight runs and no one else in the side can score more than well one bloke got what three hundred five hundred thirty barely anyone else got about four hundred. Um, it extras doesn't take, is very good. Extras did extras had a glorious summer, but um, <laughs> you know it just goes to show Root may be leading, but no one's following, and that is an indictment of his leadership, frankly. Um, even if he's a if he's a jolly fine fellow. Yeah, indeed, and he's a glutton for punishment, as we've touched on. Um, keen to keen to stay in the job, despite having now captained England in more tests than anyone, and having lost more tests as captain than uh, anyone previously. Um, 
Of course, uh, Owen Morgan has said today or yesterday that uh, Test cricket was always the priority. So um, actually, we, uh, we we were we've got that all wrong. Um, white ball <laughs> cricket hasn't been uh, pushed ahead in the queue. Um, and uh, I mean, just... I've got massive respect, massive respect for <laughs> Owen Morgan for everything he's achieved. But he has become a, a, an ECB mouthpiece since since the ni- twenty nineteen World Cup. He trots out all sorts of utterly implausible nonsense about the state of cricket including how wonderful the 100 is which you know it's all very well the 100 isn't all bad but it's certainly not all good either and um and and a little 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 bit less um less he's not even towing the line because he doesn't need to tow the line he's big enough not to have to tow the line but um yeah little 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 bit less just waffle from him would be nice because uh he's he could be very very important in in the rebuild of english cricket in my opinion um he's he, he probably mm. ought to be player coach of the of the white ball side going forward, um, and you know the transition of Morgan's excellence on the field to excellence in the boardroom, I think could be could be could be vital. You know, Andrew Strauss did it before. Andrew Strauss was a very very important director of cricket, um, probably the only man who's really grabbed hold of English cricket and given it the shake it needs in recent times. Um, so you know, um, watch this space on that one. But uh, that that's that's one that's one that's one for further down the line. Clearly, we 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 got plenty plenty more ashes ashes wash up <laughs> to deal with before we we get um, get into that that sort of uh, that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean Morgan Morgan's name I think was uh, mentioned uh, maybe at one of the more sleep addled times of the uh, BT Sport coverage as as a you know coach successor to Silverwood although Silverwood is still in the job um as we know uh, reviews pending I think um, Gary Kirsten put his hat in the ring a couple of weeks ago didn't he but um again Silverwood still in the job for now and and Nash I, I, mean, I, just... was, going, I was going to write a piece back in back in 2018 I was, I was on the brink of writing a piece saying that he should be England's test captain but then England went and beat, beat mm, uh, India yes. 4-0 so um you, you, so you've that, always that liked kind of blew long... that out of the water I don't still know how they won that but um you've yeah. always liked a long deadline Miller I was sat next to you when you were halfway through that piece and you were so annoyed when you couldn't felt you couldn't write it you, I think you'd actually <laughs> done half of it and then I think was it that day that Moeen bowled them out in the fourth test to actually end up winning that series or whatever yeah. it was and, um, yeah. and, so and suddenly, I, suddenly we've routed India uh, exactly, exactly. And, and, yeah I've never seen someone so annoyed they couldn't call for the head of the England captain so yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, something like that. Anyway, I'm calling for it now. Yeah, Root needs to go for his own good, and um, I've got a few ideas. As who well, that, that, him, that's but, um, yeah. The question is who who would replace him? I know you're working on on a. I was going to say a long list. It's got to be a short list. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there long are is, long is stretching it. Yeah, that there, there are. I mean, beyond Ben Stokes, there aren't tons of candidates. Um, no, fair to there say. aren't. I, well, I I think Stokes. I mean, going back to what Nasha was saying about um, about Ben Stokes is what is Ben Stokes going to be for England going forward? And I think this coming year, it's a, it's frustrating timing for the for the handler of the captaincy, in my opinion, because you know Stokes is probably I think a better captain than Root. I mean, he led that three nil heroically against uh, Pakistan in the ODIs last summer when he had a broken finger. He's an inspirational character. He leads from the front. He's not got the sort of dogmatic ego that uh, Andrew Flintoff had when he was an all-rounder captain and obviously bowled himself into the ground against Sri Lanka in 2006. So I think he's, uh, and you know, he, fundamentally he's a batsman. So, um, you know, th- there's a there, there's more opportunity there for, for him to sort of, you know, step back from the bowling, which kind of he did anyway through injury in the last few tests. So in the long term, I don't think Stokes is a bad idea for captain. But in the short term, 
it's far more important, I think, that Stokes gets back to being Ben Stokes than being Ben Stokes with the burden of the captaincy, which is part of the reason why Root has probably said, no, I'm going to carry on. You know, Stokes will be, what, he'll be 31 next year. If he can spend this year getting back to full fitness, getting back to full focus, getting back to working out what he is, you know, there was already a sense, I think, uh, around that 2020 series that he was already becoming England's best batter and the bowling was becoming a sort of luxury aspect that, you know, a bit more like Jack Callis than, than, than Ian Botham. Um, and so, you know, if, if he can get back to that, then maybe in a year's time, um, you know, heading into that 2023 Ashes, Stokes could be the right man to be leading England. He certainly, you know, England certainly looks sharper. Uh, obviously, that, that awkward incident when, when Root wasn't on the field after being hit, hit in the knackers, um, that was actually probably England's brightest, sparkiest period on the field until the Hobart test, when, funnily enough, another captain candidate, ben, Sam Billings, cropped up. Uh, now, now that, 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 the fact that his name is even in the hat already <laughs> goes to show what an absolute, uh, <laughs> what an absolute chaotic situation Billings. England are in. That, that a guy who was 90 minutes away from catching a flight back to England to go to fly over to the Caribbean to play in a white ball series for England, then drives, drives nine hours and 500 miles down the coast to play in a test match and provide enough spark in an innings of 29 and a bit of chirp behind the stumps for him to actually genuinely be talked about as a potential captaincy candidate. That's, that's the depths that England have sunk to. I don't think England need to go there. Though. My, man, my man for the moment is Stuart Broad. I think England need to throw him the captaincy in the short term because we saw 15 minutes, the most cl- most clear-headed analysis, dissection of everything England done done wrong in this series came from Stuart Broad that first day at Sydney when he, when he took his Pfeiffer, walked into the press conference, sat down and just bombarded truth bombs into the ether about what England were doing wrong. They're spending too much time focusing on the series in six months' time, not enough time focusing on the here and now. They're spending too much time faffing around and rotating their side and not just playing the best players. And, you know, he, was, he talked about how angry he'd been at being dropped last summer when, obviously, he, he was England's star bowler in, in South Africa and then he didn't play in that first test. He felt he owned the shirt. It was his shirt. And he he was... He, I thought he spoke with the clarity and confidence and eloquence that that could actually be what England need in the short term. Because the problem England have got now is the Ashes are lost and everything about English cricket cycles around the Ashes. And we know that, and that, in my opinion, that's part of the reason why Test cricket is, is has got a problem at the moment, is that if England spend all their life worrying about the Ashes just that's just happened and the Ashes about to happen, the Ashes just gone, um, they spend less time worrying about, you know, playing against uh, India and New Zealand in the home test series and getting thrashed by them, for instance. Um, but now we've got a position where Anderson and Broad have emerged from another Ashes series. In spite of the fact they didn't, they didn't play in all the games, they emerge with averages, what, 23 and 26, respectively. Um, they proven once again, they, even at their age, they are good enough to be leading the line. They've got all the technique and, and, and nous required to be vital to England going forward. So the England have got a choice, basically. Either they say to the old boys, thanks, old boys, on your bike. Um, you've, you've served us well, but we need to build for the future here. And, and let's face it, you're not part of the future because you're, you're nearly 40 and 36, respectively. Or they say, right, OK, we're at rock bottom here, but you two are still the best we've got. You two hark back to the days when English cricket was actually quite good at test cricket. You know, Anderson played cricket alongside Nasser Hussain. 
you know, he made his debut under Nasser Hussain as captain. And that that harks back to a, a lineage in Test cricket that is irreplaceable when he goes. And so what do you do in the meantime? Do you say, thanks, but no thanks, or thanks, but yeah, pop in occasionally, but just sit on the bench and warm it? I'd say, hell with it. Play them both. Play them till they break. You leave the line for two... You and know, make one of them a, captain. <laughs> make one of them captain. Say, right, you, you Stuart Broad, are going to inject every ounce of your test, test match blueprint into this team in the short term. And you, James Anders, are just going to bowl like the god you've been in the last four years. And if your your hamstrings pop or your calves pop or whatever, it's like, well, what do you expect? I mean, you know, they're, they're living, they're, they've already outlasted their, their, their reasonable life cycle by, by six years already. Um, it's bonus time now for England. You might as well use it. And if you don't use it, you lose it. Stuart Broad, you know, if he gets, spends any more time on the time on the bench, I mean, he's just <laughs> going to retire and go, and, go and work in the Sky Sports studio. And then you've lost, you've lost him like you've lost Atherton and, and Hussain and all the other former brains within the England setup are now commentators rather than actually within the setup, which is part of the problem. Part of the reason why English cricket lacks any direction at the moment is there are too many people on the ECB who simply aren't cricket brains. And so, you know, tap into them. Tap into while they got them. Um, that, that's that's my short term blueprint. It'll probably it'll probably um, crash and burn in no time at all. But we don't have got no time at all, frankly, because the Caribbean tour starts in two months' time. Uh, there's no time to do anything wholesale to this seat, this team. But the one thing you can do is, is change the captain, change the focus, and change the narrative. And that's I think is is the best chance they've got in the short term. Uh, on the subject of England focusing too much on the Ashes, they, perhaps they should be celebrating the fact they've managed to um, see off Virat Kohli mid-series. Um, <laughs> broad, uh, yeah, broad proving a point. I mean, it, he he does love to do that. Of course, he um, joined a select group of thirty-five plus fast bowlers to have taken ten or more wickets in Australia. Uh, there are uh, fourteen of them, um, and James Anderson is one of the others. Nash, I mean, the, 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 the real, I suppose, regret for England here is that um, it, well, they've, they've often struggled to bowl Australia out in Australia. Um, and, and it's been days in the field uh, slogging away while Stephen Smith racks them up. Um, this time around, they actually got quite helpful conditions in many respects. Uh, one or two pitches that were sort of uh, English, shall we say, in inverted commas. Um, the, the, I mean, they didn't take 20 wickets um, very often, uh, only once in, in the series, but there, were the, there was the, the possibility of taking those wickets if only they could get a score or two on the board. Um, you know, Australia's batting, by and large, um, it was propped up by the, those, those, uh, the unlikely characters. It was Kawaja and, um, and Head uh, and so on, lavishing towards the start of the series. But Smith went through an Ashes without scoring 100, which is uh, would be headline news in, in other uh, circumstances. Um, Australia w- always had an attack that was likely to make take advantage of, of bowler-friendly conditions as well, I suppose. But um, it could have been, we talked about it being a bit of a scrap between two unprepared sides, um, everyone looking a bit green, everything looking a bit green in every respect. Um, Cameron Green was the green that carried carried the series, but uh, I mean for England that that might have been their window if if the bowlers could um, knock Australia over and they could just get a few runs. Yeah, their window was the first day at the Gabba. Pick the right team <laughs> yeah. and bowl first. It might not. It probably wouldn't have made a difference overall. But they wouldn't have been bowled out for 147 on the first day. Yes, Australia probably wouldn't have been either. They might have been 
They might have been five for 200, but that's a lot different than you being bowled out for 147. It at least means it feels as though there's a foothold in the series for one day longer than there was. And I know it's come out in these reports in the last 48 hours that that team selection at the Gabba did not impress many people. I think most of us were. I think I think there was an understanding that we that might not be bored and Anderson. Um, there does seem to be some confusion over whether Anderson really had a niggle or whether he was just left out. But to then not pick Broad, subsequently as well, of course, he dismisses David Warner for a pair in Hobart. If that had been in, if that had been at the Gabba, if, if Warner had gone for a duck in the second over at the Gabba or something, just imagine the at least the short term narrative or tone that would have been created. Um, so that was that was that those early decisions were were muddled and bizarre but just to go back to before i carry on just go back to the notion of stuart broad being um test captain it's one i like but i also think we might be in for a world record of using up the three reviews might go within the first <laughs> well, what's that first 30 minutes of a test match probably all gone i imagine because i mean pat cummins ma- balanced that responsibility very well you're, fa- you're suggesting he, he, that stuart he, broad wouldn't be the same sort of bowler captain that, uh, that's <laughs> what i'm that's what i'm suggesting in that he he does not know the rule about pitching outside leg stump put it that way and I know I know it's not I know it's not always easy to tell but sometimes it is easy to tell and he is one of the worst judges of an LBW I think I've ever seen whether he's batting or bowling he loves it's to a review small them price to pay for the passion <laughs> no no I know and you know I'd be fascinating it sounds like Jasper Bumrah's in the run, in the running for well, that, I mean, just so, imagine Cummins I mean, Bumrah Broad yeah, as in, as yeah. captains of the big three, it'd be absolutely glorious. Who wouldn't certainly, want to tune into Test cricket yeah. for that? It's, <laughs> it's certainly going to re- revive so, the game right there. Certainly, while English cricket is going through a review, the inability to use reviews should not um, <laughs> should not rule anybody out of a job. Um, but yes, just to go back to the point you were initially talking about. Um, I'll, yes, I mean, I think however England had played this series, at whatever order they'd have done things, whatever order they made the mistakes or picked the right or wrong team, Australia would probably have had too much, um, largely because they've now got um, this this cartel, to use the local language, which everybody on the other side <laughs> of the world hates. I know I know our, our, our former colleague and... and uh, Will McPherson absolutely hates it. Um, the, uh, the the fastballing cartel, um, but um, the, and the difference is now that we've seen what Australia has. Last summer there was this talk about strength and depth of fast bowling. Another summer it has to be said where the pitches had a bit in them, apart from Sydney, um, and it has been a noticeable trend the last two years how there's been more more life in in Australian pitches, which I actually think is a good thing. I mean, Steve Smith and Marnus may not agree entirely, <laughs> but. Um, but whereas whereas last year against India, they didn't change the big three. They they went through throughout and obviously famously couldn't win at the, or lost at the Gabba. Um, this season, for for reasons largely out of their control, they were forced to look at the depth most spectacularly in Adelaide, of course, when uh, Hazelwood and Cummins were sidelined and Richardson and Nisa come in. And then neither of those play at the MCG and Scott Boland comes in. So all of a sudden you've got six, you've got six fast bowlers there one of which Josh Hazelwood was picked out as probably being the key bowler before the series played one played one test match so um and, and clearly they've played against a very weak England batting lineup but um they, it does look now that there is that much vaunted depth it wasn't just talk wasn't just paper talk about oh look at these good fast bowlers Australia have they've now had a chance to show that and it will be very interesting now going forward over the next few series Australia have um, and then coming into next summer down here, um, how that attack develops. I mean, it, it's kind of 
Cummins seems very, and you can understand why, seems very strong on the fact that Josh Hazelwood is going to walk back into that team as soon as he's fit. I mean, he would have played at the SCG. Scott Boland would have been a one-cap under after six for seven if Josh Hazel would have been fit. And if, if Hazel would have played Sydney, he probably would have played Hobart as well. So extraordinary start to Scott Boland's career of all these like sliding door moments. Um, and Scott Boland may not play in Australia's next test side now because they've got to decide how they're going to pick a side to compete in Pakistan. Um, uh, although kind of, I, I think it's they're tough fast to leave boring. out the guy who averages 9.55. <laughs> it, it, it is, it is. Um, but, but you can't leave out the skipper. Um, and then you've got Josh Hazelwood averages, what, 22 in test cricket. You've got to, you've obviously Nathan Lyon plays. Look, I, it'll be a case of whether they want to, it'll be a case of whether they want to play the extra spinner and, I suspect actually, as as when they won in India in two thousand and four, I suspect um, their best way is actually to back their quick bowlers in this subcontinent sort of trips they've got coming up. Um, I think they. I'm not saying that they'll. Uh, Mitchell Swepson's a, a good spinner. I think he's better than anything England England have. But we've seen England make the mistake of picking spinners for spinners' sake in the subcontinent. When if you think about a crumbling pitch, if Pat Cummins and Scott Boland hit that back of a length, a bit like Boland got root out. In that final innings, um, you're as likely, I think, to bowl a to bowl a side out doing that as you are playing a, a decent, okay, but untried spinner. So, uh, again, like we were moving on a bit too far forward with like Stuart Broad as England captain, but just uh, kind of Australia's challenges there. That's having come off a summer where they've ticked so many boxes, but there is this question mark over how hard were they pushed and uh, and the one test they were pushed a bit harder. Cummins perhaps made his one or two little missteps at the SCG. Um, it will be very interesting come Pakistan if that tour goes ahead and it does sound as like sound as though it will now in March and then Sri Lanka where the pitches will probably be even more spin friendly and then India next year. Um, that will be that will be fascinating to see how this Australian side develops um, and that will also define their their World Test Championship chances um, this time around. So um, I kind of think they did everything they could do this summer and um, it wasn't their fault. England were rubbish and could barely know which end of the bat to hold um, and kind of I, I, th- I think we forget don't we the first show we did before this series the the questions or the issues that Australia seemed to have their captain had resigned in disgrace um, they had a new captain could he be a bowler captain we didn't really know who was going to open but we still don't know who is David Warner's owning partner and also how long David Warner's going to go on but Travis Head's ticked the box Alex Carey had a much better last test than he did at Sydney yeah Scott Boland is Scott Boland so um, it will be it will be very interesting to see the next six months. I think will tell us a lot more about this Australian side. Um, but it, the general feel is that while it's probably a bit hard to rate them right now, they have they are sort of moving back to that era where um, I'm not sure any team will dominate globally like Australia used to do. I think there's too many unknowns now in Test cricket, not not least the bio bubble life and rest and rotation and playing two teams at once in different formats. But it does feel as Australia have a team that can sort of um, sort of go back to building that dominance that Australian cricket is known for. Sorry I'm to sh- say that. I, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure Virat Kohli would like to point out that you know India have been the best team in the world for the past seven years under his captaincy. Uh, uh, although they're not the world yeah, test champions, are they? So well, and, uh, <laughs> and, and and just I mean, if, if, if we are going to mention his his very sad departure from the uh, <laughs> leadership role of Indian cricket. It is, it is just worth saying again that kind of when a series goes like this in Australia and again with the caveat of how bad the opposition were, it does just remind you how extraordinary India's two successes in the space of three years were down here, albeit the first one came when there was no Smith and 
Warner in the Australian side, but that series was level 1-1 after two tests, and then India pulled away at the MCG, and then more remarkably, of course, last year, 36 all out, which is a worse collapse than England have suffered on this Ashes. <laughs> it's extraordinary. Not even, not even England were bowled out for 36. Um, and then they come back and, and, and win 2-1 in one of the greatest series of all time. So, um, yeah, Mr. Mr. Cole is getting a lot of praise right now. Um, and I know we're meant to email in with our suggestions of our memories as about <laughs> Coley, uh, the captain. But, um, I've yeah, done I it. You, Why haven't you? Yes, I, no, I, I, saw, I, saw, I saw you very, very good. It's the first deadline you've ever hit, Billy. Yeah, well done. Um, and, um, but um, I, I think it just goes to show, I mean, it's how bloody hard is it to win in Australia? We've spoken about England's record here going back to the 1980s. Was it six test match wins in, in that time? And three of them came in one series. Um, India won two series back to back. So, um, yeah, kind of whether that adds context to England struggles, I don't know, but it adds it adds context to, to to that era of Indian cricket, and I, I know that wasn't necessarily the discussion point, but um, it, it's kind of where Australia were last summer to where they are now. There might not have been a vast turnover in personnel, but um, it does feel as though they've learnt a bit from last summer, um, and it will be very interesting. They play South Africa, for example, here next summer. I think that could be a rip rip roaring series down here because again, we've just seen what South Africa can do with their rejuvenating side. Uh, Good, good, stable, quick bowlers, um, and some young batters coming through. That could be a that could be a real good series down here next summer. Uh, there you go. Test cricket is alive and well, Miller. It's just England that are uh, dead as dodos. Um, we could pick the bones out. I haven't of... got time to respond to that comment, but we'll, we'll come back to that another pod. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, uh, uh, I was going to round up with with uh, a bit of women's women's ashes is coming up, uh, and obviously England start a T Twenty series in the West Indies this weekend. Um, Miller, on the uh, one last word on on the Test team. Um, six weeks until they go to the Caribbean. You've already tipped broad for the captaincy. Joe Root may cling on to it. I mean, there is definitely the possibility of new faces, I suppose. Ben Folks behind the stumps, uh, uh, for one. Um, the likes of Alex Lees and, and Josh Bohannon. Can this be a tour of renewal, or or is it just going to be, you know, as you mentioned, another tough one, uh, and a, what, another bloody day in paradise, as, uh, uh, as someone once said? Well, I, I just don't see how England can pick themselves up in two months' time to be ready to to go again uh, and 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 win in a in a in a on a tour that they've had a lot of trouble winning anything on recent times. Um, I like I like the notion of Alex Lees and Josh Mahan. They've got to change something. It does sound as though Rory Burns is 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 complete persona non grata for for basic crimes against communication by all accounts. Um, which I, I mean, you know, talking of communication, I mean. If he, if he was if he's miffed at the, about finding out from the press that that he's been dropped, uh, it's a little wonder he's he's not um, not not quite chatting away in in the in the manner that uh, you might expect of a senior senior player. I I personally don't don't think he's been quite the same uh, ever since that unfortunate spat he had with Alex Hartley uh, um, on Twitter a couple of uh, winters ago when uh, when she made a made a joke about uh, the men getting thrashed in good time for everyone to focus on the women it was you know clearly tongue-in-cheek but hit a raw nerve he responded um caustically and um it it's um he got hauled over the coals i remember speaking to him at the start of last summer 
Surrey's press day. He was he was still sore about uh, about what had happened there, and you know he, he was in the wrong. There's no question about it. But the way in which he failed to engage with any questions was was just rude, frankly. And it feels like he's been sulking ever since, frankly. You know there, there was there was another incident going into the. Um, into this series where he was asked, have you thought about what it's going to be like to face the first ball? He said, no, not really. I mean, it just seems brainless lack of, <laughs> lack of um, application, frankly, which is, which is History would suggest that he, had all along. he probably should have thought about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, he'd have thought so, wouldn't he? But given the, way it went. the fact that he was dropped, though, I, I am still flabbergasted that England binned off the one guy who they'd put faith in for... Ever since, basically, ever since um, Alice Cook's retirement, mm. Rory Burns was the one guy who they thought, you know what, this guy has got something about something the Cook about him. He's got a bit, a bit of character, a bit of seniority. He's been a county captain for for, for Surrey, so therefore yeah, championship winning as well. So you know, all intents and purposes, he ought to be in the running to be the next captain. Um, suddenly, you know, in comes Hassi Bermid. I've said enough about him for this for this uh, for this tour. So I'm not going to digress again. But to drop. Burns of all people, the, the the second highest run scorer in a in a failing team at that moment of the series. Um, I mean, what did they expect to happen? Did they really expect to be able to conjure a miracle from 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 a random set of set of guys who haven't had any practice? I mean, Johnny Bairstow produced the only century of the series, and it was a magnificent innings. But frankly, he was driven by other issues. He was driven by by you know the the, the anniversaries and. And and his typical ability to to prove people wrong. He, he wasn't he wasn't driven by by the the usual um, parameters of, of Test cricket in that. By, by a good team um, talk from Chris Silverwood. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it, 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 you know nothing that the England nothing the England management had done helped to influence that. Um, so you know it, it's been a sorry sorry performance from the batting all the way through, and it's going to be a sorry performance in the Caribbean as well. Um, I don't. I don't sing I don't predict riches uh from the batting at any stage. Um and without riches, you're not gonna get your runs. As Broad said in his manifesto, if you're gonna get bowled out for 140 every time, um you're not gonna win many test matches. And and that, I'm afraid, is the bottom line where England are concerned right now. Well, at least um before the test in the Caribbean, it's back into the, the warm embrace of Owen Morgan and the White Ball side, uh five T twenties starting there in Barbados at the weekend. Uh Nashua, it, it falls to you um to preview the possibility for more green and gold glory, um then with the, the women's ashes, which is beginning this week as well, um, has had arguably a more disrupted build-up than the men's. And there's also the Women's World Cup sort of uh, nudging up uh, um, in, in the, uh, in the, well, the rearview mirror. It's, no, it's, 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 it's ahead of us, but it's, it's right there looming over the whole thing. Um, quarantine restrictions to get into New Zealand and all that. Um, I mean, England don't sound best prepared. Australia hammered them in England a couple of years ago. Fears that this could go a similar way uh, as you know as it has for the men, albeit that the women have tended to be more competitive um, down under. To a degree, yes. I mean, there's a lot of unknowns heading into this Ashes. Um, as you mentioned, the build-up has been has been shortened, and it's been it's been chaotic for both sides. Really, there's been COVID. Um, on both sides, albeit um, just one of the support staff on the England side so far, but a couple of the Australia A players 
haven't been able to get to Adelaide for the first part of this series as they've tested positive. At least Perry had a had a had a had a scare with it, but it was a it was an old um, it was a past infection that was not contagious anymore. So she's fine. Will be available for the T20s. Although we might for the first time in a long long time uh, we might see at least Perry dropped from an Australian cricket team, which would be quite a a an example of the depth now that Australia have. But whether she's in their best T20 team when everyone's available, I, I don't think she is anymore. And um, there has been a curveball thrown the way of Australia today, though, with Beth Mooney breaking her jaw in the nets um, at training, got a throw down from Matthew Mott that bounced awkwardly. So she's had surgery today on that. So she'll definitely be out of the T20s and it's probably touch and go for the rest of the Ashes. Um, but yes, the whole thing through this Ashes is this looming deadline departure to get to New Zealand complicated by the fact that it's one goes and they all go at once. There's no time to shuttle in any other players. So the big concern among players from both sides um, is that someone catches it in the last during the ODIs, which are early next month, and obviously you have the seven days, which then that could rule you out. You might be absolutely perfectly healthy. You might be asymptomatic, as Travis Head was. Um, you might be absolutely fine after your seven days, even if you have symptoms, but then you miss an entire World Cup because you can't get on that plane on that one day that you then have MIQ booked in New Zealand. So very, it's a tightrope Ashes series, more so than the men's actually, um, because if the worst case had happened in the men's series and they'd have to have called a test off or finish it early. You say the worst case, but... (laughs) Well, I mean, worst case from a cricket viewing kind of cancelling cricket matches is not a good thing perspective. Um, uh, Then it would just have been a case of them doing their seven days and then flying home. That is not an option that the the women have. So it's going to be a real... um, It's going to be a real... um, test of everyone's protocols they're under they're under a tighter bubble than the men were in this in this series at the moment they're not even allowed to dine outdoors at restaurants so they effectively you know in a hotel bubble the only thing they can do outside is sort of go for a walk around the park pick up a takeaway coffee and things like that that is causing a bit of unease in in the squads at the moment they do hope that those restrictions will be eased slightly but yeah then no one wants to miss a world cup because they happen to test positive sometime next month. So in terms of how that reflects onto the cricket on the field, um, I still think Australia will be favourites. Um, uh, the depth they have, the fast bowling point of difference they have, although they are missing two key spinners, Georgia Wareham and Sophie Molyneux are both out um, of, of the ashes. The Wareham's out for a full year with an ACL. So that's going to mean a very different, different look spin attack. And it's one area where England should be able to compete strongly with Sophie Eccleston. Um, and whoever they decide to pick alongside her, whether it be Charlie Dean, Sarah Glenn, or um, or, or Maddie Villiers, um, uh, all the other aspects of the game, you think Australia just have that little bit more depth, a lot more rest on Heather Knight with the bat for England, um, as it often does. Australia you can probably look at three or four players, Lanning, Healy, Haynes, um, Tali McGrath, who's been the breakout star of the summer, as far as the Australian women is concerned, against India earlier this year. So yes, um, I should be Australia's ashes, but I just think at the moment that it's often, it could be the team that adapts to the challenges off the field as much as the ones on it that come out on top in this series. So it will be interesting. Whoever gets first blood in that T20, it'll be very important. A lot, lot of moving parts, Lisa Kitely said the other day. Um, Miller, any more optimism here? I mean, England managed to lose all three of their warm-up matches to England A over the weekend, which uh, uh, again is a, an indicator of where they're at. Uh, not really. <laughs> I mean, I mean to be to be fair, the one the one the one abiding uh, abiding memory I have of of recent women's Ashes down under was uh, the the Test match in Perth 
in the 2013-14 series when uh, when obviously all hell was breaking loose for the men and the women won an absolute humdinger. Kate Cross, the, the heroine on that occasion. And, um, you know, it, it just goes to show it can happen. But uh, Australia have been so good for so long. Um, I'm not very optimistic, particularly given what we've... Um, what we've already seen about um, the the COVID restrictions in Australia for the men, if it's even tougher for the women, you know the the, you know, the just the, the sheer sheer mental baggage of trying to compete within within that uh, sort of lockdown is uh, is brutal. Frankly, um, it's a it's an ongoing issue for the sport, and it's it's one that's not going away in a hurry. But uh, I I would love them to to prove me prove me wrong and and give a little bit of English cheer back to Ashes combat. But um, I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, it's a, a tough assignment. Uh, we will be following it closely, of course. Uh, we will leave things there for today. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. If Cummins doesn't get you, then a self-inflicted batting collapse must. We'll be back on more family-friendly topics soon with England playing 5T20Is in the Caribbean. Until then, my thanks to Miller and Nasha and to you all for listening in to the Switch It podcast on ESPNCrickInfo.com.